Hey, Rod, uh, do you know where you are? I have no idea. You're in the Alternative History Podcast, baby. You're going to die. I'm glad that we spoke that out as opposed to you trying to sing it, because if you would have sung it... Yeah, well, I had, I, we, we rehearsed it, me singing, but you said I sounded like the uh, pedophile from Family Guy. So I'm so glad we spoke that yeah, shit out. We, we, scratched, we scratched that and decided to, to save my voice and all of you the unfortunateness of that. Saved your voice and saved their ears for sure. <laughs> so as Brian alluded to, this is the Alternative History Podcast where we provide a topic... Uh, determine whether or not that topic merited a different result, a different perception, and alternative history. Yes, and uh, before we get into today's uh, topic, we're going to just want to do a couple housekeeping things and then the I wish uh, or, uh, topic. So, uh, housekeeping. So, if you've been to the website recently, you've probably noticed that there's ads on there now um, uh, through Google. Uh, we're we're uh, associated with that, so I apologize if it looks cluttered on there now. If they're annoying, but yeah, it's kind of big, whatever. Yeah, we're uh, we're basically a I want I don't want to say a nonprofit, but a no profit organization <laughs> at the moment, running in the red, <laughs> trying to get into the black. So we're just trying to make a little scratch so we can pay for the website and any any, uh, any other things that we have ideas for in the future. And by no means are we getting rich if if you go on there and click it. I think. I saw that we've made a sum total of 96 cents over the last four days. Every little so, bit helps, man. Every little yeah. bit helps. So we're 96 heirs. Um, so, <laughs> cent heirs. Uh, so, yeah, 96 cent heirs. Also, we have, we're associated with Amazon now. So you're going to see, you see, if you've been to the website, um, you'll see links to purchase the, the thing that we're talking about. Last week we had the Killer Clowns from Outer Space DVD. DVD, DVD yeah. If you haven't seen it. Get it. Whether you buy it on Amazon or not, it doesn't really matter. Uh, it's a really good movie. It's <laughs> stupid as hell, but it's good. It, it's as it Coming to America says, it's good, good and terrible. Good and terrible, exactly. So, um, with that being said, if you do buy it on there, we get a small percentage of it, and then we don't have to beg people for money. So, same with the ads. If you click on it, we'll make... 96 cents and so we do appreciate you guys going to the website yeah regardless of, much so. of our of our ads or whatever or listening to our podcast we and really if you don't want to click on it by all means don't. don't just minimize them whatever but they're going to be on there for a while so um it's just be aware way of the world so yeah we're talking about the guns and roses chinese democracy correct and before we break into that topic we should break into some of our i wishes from the last two episodes oh yeah yeah definitely forgot about that yeah so i guess the thing i wish when we talk about clowns, I wish I would have told you guys more what the Joker did in the two comic books I referred to. So I referred to The Killing Joke, and in that comic book, the Joker paralyzes Barbara Gordon, Commissioner Gordon's daughter. Oh, I'm sorry. Yep, Commissioner Gordon's daughter. In a very brutal way. And in the Death in the Family, the Joker beats Robin to death. Yeah, I mean, clowns, we, we, we established clown, they're shady. Uh, they may have a knife in their pocket or a gun. Whatever, the they're not cool, yeah. put it that way. So, um, for my wish, uh, I wish, uh, at the end of, uh, the My So-Called Life episode, I kind of, um, was bumbling, stumbling for, for what to say. I said something to the extent of the, you know, man, we're mansplaining and it's kind of hypocritical, but what I, what I really wanted to say was, I think it's, uh, when I was hoping that we were doing is we were highlighting and helping to facilitate where necessary like women's stories and I think that's important especially with every like since we recorded 
um, the My So Called Life episode. What, More like jerks Kevin Spacey coming out being gropers and sexual Rat- harassers. Rat- Ratner. I always thought that dude was he looked he just looks sleazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, looks can be deceiving, but with him, I guess they weren't. Um, and <laughs> so I guess you know, it's just it, it it's it's good that it's coming out. It's horrible that it's happened. It happened. So I just, like I said, highlight and help facilitate. I think that's the best option that that we can follow at this point. So, and we're not trying to pander or get points. We take this for real. Like, yeah, you have no, a daughter. You're serious, serious yeah, about this. Yeah, like, you're regardless at the of my, I mean, we all have we're all associated with women, and you know, it's just whatever. It's not about us. It's about them. Um, so, you know. If we can help in any way, that's what we're... Respect our women, yeah, you know what I mean? Exactly. Period. So, now we can get on to Chinese democracy. Released in November of 2008. Why don't you tell us what happened in 2008? So, 2008, uh, big year big year for me. Uh, uh, on Jack's birthday, um, Barack Obama was elected president, November 4th, 2008. My, Jack's my oldest son. Um, it was his, the, his first birthday when he was born. Yeah, his, his, on the day of his birth. Um, mm. Also in 2008, just some real, I mean, it's pretty known to everyone. Stock market crashed, the housing bubble popped. The recession um, started. Yeah, the recession started. And then there was the bailout of the banks and the auto industry. And um, Barack Obama pulled us up from the ashes. Um some people might not agree, but anyhow. If you hate, if you don't like that or disagree, send your hate mail to Brian. <laughs> Maybe we'll just cut that part up. Uh, so music, there was uh, um, "Low" by Flo Rida was uh, it's a big I guess song. The, the top song. Uh, "Bleeding Love" by Leona Lewis. I have no recollection of that song. I, yeah, me neither. Uh, "No One" by Alicia Keys. I, I don't. I can't place a song. I know who Alicia Keys is. Uh, Lollipop by Little Wayne, um, not to be confused with uh, adequately sized Wayne or gigantic Wayne. No, just Little Wayne. Yeah, Little Wayne. He's he's the one that you want to pay attention to. Uh, Apologize by Timbaland and One Republic. And is that the song where they say it's too late to apologize? I have no recollection of that song. Okay, sorry. If that is the song, I believe uh, I. I told Jack, I was like, don't listen to that song, it's stupid. I was like, it's never too late to apologize. Good father right there. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm, I'm apologizing for shit. <laughs> that we don't even do. Ages ago. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, TV, uh, American Idol, uh, Dancing with the Stars, CSI, NCIS, The Mentalist, Sunday Night Football, Desperate Housewives, and Grey's Anatomy. And so when I was looking at the Those top... Those are top ten shows, right? Top ten. Well, there's only about eight of them on there, but... Um, so American Idol and Dancing with the Stars, I don't know. I mean, so they showed them on different days. So they would show it on like a Tuesday and then on a Wednesday. Like, I guess they would show the people performing and then they would have a result show. Like, both those shows were in the top ten. Dominated. So they had two shows. Like, it was the same show, right? But it... I don't know how that works, but anyhow. Well, it's two different shows. It was on two different days. Hmm. It's the same show, two different no, airings. Think, no, American Idol is a different show than Dancing with the Stars. But... No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. But American Idol was listed on there twice. Once for the oh, Tuesday yeah, showing yeah. and once for the Wednesday showing. So whatever. So they were kind of cheating, though. They were kind of cheating. Yeah, it's like the you see, they just showed it. It would be like if they showed Grey's Anatomy twice a week. I don't know, I guess. I don't know. So anyhow, uh, movies, uh, The Dark Knight. Which is fantastic. Yes, and we'll be visiting, back we'll to be that. visiting that very soon. Um Iron Man, Indiana Jones, and uh, uh, the Crystal Skulls. The movie's terrible. Yeah. Terrible. 
Hancock, Wally, Kung Fu Panda, Twilight, um, Madagascar 2, Quantum of Solace, Horton Hears a Who. Those are the top grossing movies. Um, other releases of note, Slumdog Millionaire, The Incredible Hulk, Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Step Brothers. Just Pine- hilarious. Yeah, it's kind of... It's stupid. Grown into hilarious. a, a yeah. like a, a cult following. Um, yeah, it is pretty funny. Uh, Pineapple Express. Um, I enjoyed that movie. Um, Hellboy Two. Uh, Zach and Miri make a porno. And Rambo. Nice. We come back. Uh, in 2008 in sports, I had uh, the Giants beat the Patriots, stopping their undefeated season, 17 to 14. The Green Bay Packers lost the NFC Championship game for the New York Giants that year in overtime. It was bitterly cold at Lambeau Field. Yeah, Lions lost every game that season. Uh, the Philadelphia they lost, they lost every game that season. Oh, in sixteen. Oh, that's that was a good year. Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Philadelphia <laughs> Phillies beat the Tampa Bay Devil Rays uh, in the World Series that year. Go Phillies! Yep. Uh, the Celtics, uh, Paul Pierce's Celtics, beat Kobe Bryant's Lakers uh, that year. The next year, the Lakers come back to win two more. Uh, the Olympics are held in Beijing. And uh, Spain beats Germany one nothing in the European Championship on a goal by Fernando Torres. <clears throat> nice. So, needs to say, it looks like we fixed the antenna on our on our uh, phone box. It looks like we got our TARDIS of the day. It looks like we got the flux capacitor working. We are finally out of the 80s and 90s. We are now in the new millennium. Oh, yeah, yeah. We uh, we have entered the aughts. So, so we're talking about Guns N' Roses. The yep. Chinese Democracy came out in uh, November. It was like the most... It was one of the highly most anticipated albums ever. You could argue, like it was yeah, a long I, time. Yeah, I had heard that about it since like the like mid to late nineties. It was talked about, and oh, then yeah. and then after a while, it's just kind of like, well, you it's know, it's probably not going to happen. Almost a character you didn't think it was actually going to happen. So let me start off by saying that Guns N' Roses is probably my favorite band of all time. Like I have a top seven, a rotating top seven, if you will, like and a couple of honorable mentions. So like Jimi Hendrix is one of my favorites. Led Zeppelin, uh, Notorious B.I.G., Nas. Neil Young, The Rolling Stones, and Guns N' Roses. Those are my top seven. Like I probably listen to some of their stuff every day. And there's like I have like four other guys that almost get in there. So like I love Stone Temple Pilots, I love Velvet Revolver, I love Michael Jackson, and I love the band. Yeah, I guess I don't. I'm not nearly as musically organized as you are. Um, Guns N' Roses. Uh, I mean, I, I like them. I listen to them. I you're clearly a bigger fan than I was. Am. Of them. Because of the digital conversion of music, mm-hmm. probably from 17 to 28, I probably listened to a Guns N' Roses song every day. <laughs> and like early on in that run, probably like a ton of Guns N' Roses song every single day. And uh, basically I went from, you know, being super obsessive to still just liking them a lot is where I'm at with them right now. Yeah. So it started out in summer of 1987. Like essentially this is my musical awakening. Like Bad by Michael Jackson comes out. I Want to Dance with Somebody by Whitney Houston. Uh, nothing is gonna stop us now by Starship. My mom loved the movie Mannequin, and so that song and video <laughs> and scenes from that movie. So we watch that video all the time. Uh, Aerosmith's Angel. I know you don't like that, but I love that. Uh, yeah. Bon Jovi's Garbage. Wanted Dead or Alive, and uh, Tesla's Little Susie. Those are like songs I really like. Let, let me call. Let me call. Bon Jovi's Wanted Dead or Alive was not garbage. That garbage was directed at uh, Aerosmith's Aero Angel. Smith's yes, Angel. I know. Yeah. Uh, and so I went from uh. Like, in, like this music, right? I really started finding this new songs, finding music that I really enjoyed. 
And the album that essentially messed up my world considerably was Def Leppard's Hysteria. Uh, I was obsessed with it because I had the thing a... was like it was ubiquitous. Like it, it came like standard issue to every kid in the neighborhood. I had heard of it. I was young, right? But there was a older kid living in the duplex above us, so he had it. He gave me the tape, like, and I became obsessed with it right away. I wanted to buy the album because I had this, you know, I, burnt tape. Pour some sugar on me was just like it felt like it was playing out of every house and car window. I, I was gonna say right here, like the that first year. couple videos and singles that came out were Animal, Woman, and Hysteria. Which I didn't like, by the way. But then I, I heard "Pour Some Sugar on Me" not as a single, but like on the tape by itself. And you're absolutely right; that was. A... I was getting all my music from MTV. I started clamoring for uh, as soon as and it came out. Uh, "Appetite for Destruction" gets released uh, on July 21st, 1987. Yeah. And initially, it does not do well. It's not a monster of an album, and its first single and video, "Welcome to the Jungle," also do not do very well. You confirmed something for me, but I wrote it down here that. Uh, they didn't show Welcome to the Jungle on MTV's regular rotations at first. They either played it one time at 4 a.m. on a Sunday, or they would yeah. only play it at 4 a.m. I couldn't really tell well, from the research. Well, the research I got said, uh, so they signed with Geffen Records. Uh, David Geffen um, was running it, and he apparently he convinced MTV to play Welcome to the Jungle just one, once so that at, four a, at one undes- time. undesirable time. Most at 4 a.m. on a Sunday. Who's watch that? Uh, apparently, a whole bunch of metalheads were up, and they were all like, it got a great response, and it got it got put into the rotation at that point. There you so, go. April of 1988, Def Leppard finally releases the Pour Some Sugar On Me video, and it messes me up. It becomes my favorite song. I'm all Def Leppard all the time. My mom knows the lead singer's name, Joe Elliott, because of my obsession. She wouldn't know that if it wasn't for me. I can guarantee that. Uh, and I would talk about them all the times. If their songs would come on the radio, I'd make a big deal if people would be talking to the songs. It's, oh, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a trait that's it's followed you into a whole life. Exactly. Yeah. Should we talk about the treatment? No, another time. All right. Please. Uh, well, we, don't our, we don't want to lose any more of our dozens and dozens of fans. Trust the me. treatment. <laughs> So I would talk about it all the time. One of the happening is in 1987, I ended up taking my first communion later, one year after my, my classmates did, because we were waiting for my grandma to show up from mm-hmm. El Salvador. So she visits. So you had one more one year longer of just complete... Like, Chilling, not yeah, worrying about nothing. Just heathen. Exactly, from six to seven. And uh, so I get money for that first communion, and with that bit of scratch, my dad goes in half with me and buys the album for me. So I actually still have the LP with like the super dope cover art and all that stuff at my mom's house. Uh, the show that is very important at the time is Dial MTV. It's a yeah. precursor to TRL. And from April to August, there are many good videos, but the ones that I most care about and the ones that I most focus on are Pour Some Sugar On Me, Ain't Looking For Nothing But A Good Time, and Sweet Child of Mine. So Pour Some Sugar On Me was kind of like the slow burn. It eventually got to the top three. Yeah. Uh, Ain't Looking For Nothing But A Good Time was kind of like a medium burn. Like it was poison. It poison. But Guns N' Roses, Sweet Child of Mine was fire. That video dropped in in August, I want to say August of 88, and was number one by September of 1988. Yeah. So, like, I would come home from school every day and look forward to the to that countdown. You know what I mean? It'd be every day, Def Leppard, Guns N' Roses, and Poison switching in and out of the top yeah, three. Yeah, you have a more vivid memory of all that than I do. Um, mine was, I mean, I remember the, all that happening. I just don't remember it distinctly. Part of it but. is because... This is like, I'm not trying to get too deep into my family history, but this is the first time that my parents separated. So sure. in August of 1988, we kind of start changing our life. And so Guns N' Roses supplants Def Leppard and becomes much more of my favorite band. And I think it had to do 
because I was angry, a little kid with my parents separate. It's a band to be angry with. That anger could resonate with me. You know what I'm saying? Like, like which, I, which, that's why I didn't do that for me. I just liked the music. Poison was all fun, but that's where I started to really feel Guns N' Roses. You know, Guns N' Roses had they had like a, a more of a juvenile delinquent danger vibe to them than Poison. Or well, as, as Poison said, they're not looking for nothing but a, a good, good time. time. Exactly. Right? Like, You're absolutely right. They don't want trouble. I just want a good time. And so I, the anger resonates, and I end up really loving the guitar. I, I think Slash was fantastic. So I end up owning this tape twice. Like a mother of a friend of mine gave it to me for a birthday present, and then my uncle bought it to me once that tape got worn out, like many, many years later. And then I bought the CD. So I owned it several times. Like I really like Appetite for Disruption. Uh, I bought GNR Lies at, at a music land. Well, for, uh, let's get back real quick with Appetite for Destruction. When you bought it, uh, it was sold briefly with some. Uh, I didn't have that one. With the cover art. That guy changed. Uh, just right. just uh, uh, kind of describe it. You can look it up on the interwebs if you like. But basically, it appears to be a, a robot who was. Uh, uh, what? He murdered someone who raped a woman, is what the robot oh. did. What's that big nasty? It's a robot. He killed the rapist. Is what that art depicted? Is the... what that's what they claim. Oh, because it it looked like, like the so there's a ro- there's a robot wearing an overcoat, and then there's this big red alien thing above it, and then there's a woman who looked like she, she had been... just been assaulted. Right. So they said that in that art cover art, the robot was one that murdered the rapist. Oh, okay. So that, that's how they justify. But nonetheless, Anyhow, it was considered. It was yeah. It, it was kind of it was. It looked like something like out of heavy metal. The the movie. The movie. And so they changed the cover to the now famous cross. With Which I think is way cooler. More and, iconic. Yeah, sure. exactly. And so uh, I bought GNR Lies at a music land. They no longer exist. They used to be they used to be things called records and tape where you go to the store and buy them. And so I bought that in 1990. My dad was living back with us. The album was released in November of 88. Uh, Patience is released in April of 1989. The guy at Musicland wouldn't sell me the album unless there was an adult with me. And my dad at that time didn't really care about what I was listening to. So back then, were the, did, did they have those... Uh, they had the stickers. The sticker on there? Yep, yep. Okay. Uh, uh, I rode my bike to Mainstream after school in September of 91 and bought Use Your Illusion 1. I was trying to save up to buy them both, but I didn't have enough money. Basically what happens is I was hanging out after school with my homies. They had football. I was chilling on my bike. One of my best friend's dad showed up to the football field and showed his son that he had the two tapes like in his hand. Like It was <laughs> hilarious. As soon as he did that, I'm like, fuck football. I got on my bike and went and bought the tape. It was great. Uh, I eventually I stole the spaghetti incident from a friend of mine much later after it was released. That movie or that album came out in 1993. Yeah. And uh, I bought that live era CD in lacrosse. And then I bought the greatest hits in, that was released in 2004. I purchased that in 2008 at the exclusive company. I bought the band self-titled, I bought the band's greatest hits, and I bought Chinese Democracy. This is one of the last times where like, I bought a bunch of music. I remember being younger and hanging out with people or doing it myself where you'd go to the music store and come out with several CDs. Yeah, I mean, there was yeah there were music stores. I don't know, uh, Mainstream was one, right? And the exclusive then, company, Music Land. Sam Goody. Land, Sam Goody. Power yeah. Records. We had all that shit. Uh, I mean, it's such and a different I, I used to get a lot from Best Buy, too. Yep. And there, I don't even know if I haven't been inside of a Best Buy in ages, but... It's changed, right? Like the whole yeah. digital, the whole digital. Yeah, I mean, I, I I can't remember last time I bought a, a CD. Exactly. So that's my personal history with Guns N' Roses. I really like Guns N' Roses. This is, this is my band. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can tell. So, uh, <laughs> so, and I and I knew that going into that, you were passionate about Guns N' Roses. So, and I guess uh, we can go over a, just a real brief history of Guns N' Roses. So, uh, and I guess 
Before that, maybe just talk about Axel Rose for a minute because that kind of leads into Go the Axel Rose for Axel. Yep, exactly. so, so Axel is like when you think of Guns N' Roses, you think of Axel Rose and Slash, uh, and Slash but mainly Axel Rose. Axel Rose is the only member that's been with Guns N' Roses the entire from run the beginning. Of, yeah, from exactly. the beginning. So, uh, so Axel was born William Bruce Rose Jr. in Lafayette, Indiana. Uh, his father was a habitual criminal who, uh, uh, I'm, so I'm getting this, this is all from Wikipedia. So, you know what, maybe I'll just kind of skip over some of this. He was a habitual criminal, apparently. Um, his mom was really young and then she got remarried. Um, Axel thought his stepdad was his biological father and he found out when he was 17 um, who his real father was. Uh, while with his mother and stepfather that he was raised in a really strict religious household sounds like his, his stepfather may have been abusive in one way or another um, he never actually met his biological father at, during his adulthood um, his biological father was murdered in 1984 um, after after he learned about who his father was axel himself became a criminal uh, and became pretty much a delinquent in lafayette indiana so he was a delinquent before his father died, is what you're saying, right? Like he knew of his father, and then I don't know. Yeah, probably the timeline would have had to have been that he he never met him because I think his father was somewhere else in Indiana. And you but heard about him, he heard about him, off, found so out about him. Delinquent. I guess he was looking through some papers that his okay. mother had, and he found out that his father was a. And then some. So then he becomes got a delinquent clued into criminal. about yeah, he becomes a delinquent criminal, um, petty criminal, kind of arrested about twenty times, and he. He was basically left with the option to stay and possibly go to jail or leave, or, or, or leave Indiana. Leave town. You know so I mean? he took off for L.A. and he hitchhiked all the way from Indiana to, to L.A. And so as the, so he so as he's a delinquent, his dad's still alive. His dad dies as he's essentially becoming a musician. Is that what I'm understanding in Los Angeles? Because what I have here, and I'm not going to interrupt, I'll come back. The, the band forms in 84 and 85. Yeah, he, okay. left, he left Indiana in like 82. Okay, all right. Something like that. So... Um, while when he was in Indiana, when he was being raised, um, he he sang in the church choirs. He was required to go to church a lot, so he also he always had that uh, musical knack to him. So he and I mean clearly he was a great singer, still is. So uh, Guns N' Roses forms uh, in 1985 when so at, before 1985, Axel and and. Uh, the various members of Guns N' Roses are in different bands. They're all familiar with each other. Exactly. I have uh, it in my notes Sunset here. Sunset Strip, right? Yep, I have it in my notes here that they are a conglomeration of artists in different bands playing in multiple multiple bands and getting together. That's yeah, and I, I and this is a quick tidbit. Uh, I, I heard that Slash auditioned for Poison. And they went with CeCe DeVille. Yeah. Well, that should be an alternative history. Could you imagine if Poison would have had Slash? Yeah, I'm afraid that his greatness would have been wasted in Poison. Think so? Uh, yeah. Maybe you might you might be right you might be right. Man, he, he he I I don't know if he would have worn makeup. I mean you ba- I basically had no idea what Slash looked like facially for years because yeah, yeah, so right. it was just hair and a hat. Big ass right? hat. So hat. anyhow, so in 1985, a uh, band fronted by Axl Rose called Hollywood Rose yeah. forms uh, combines with L.A. Guns, um, um, which was run by Tracy Gun- guitarist Tracy Guns. See, I don't know shit about Hollywood Rose. I don't think I've ever seen any of their music. I don't think I've ever heard any of their stuff. So I have a CD somewhere in my house from I bought I bought this years and years and years ago. I never opened it and I haven't listened to it yet. So Collectors you might have to crack sweet. crack it open. I don't and I, I have no. It's in a box somewhere in my basement. And this is Hollywood Rose. 
Hollywood Rose. So yeah. I knew of L.A. Guns because, like I said, I spent a lot of time in the music stores. Mm-hmm. Though I never bought their stuff, they had records and they had tapes. Yeah, so. I heard my my neighbor was a, a real big in into um, '80s rock and stuff, and I I listened to some of it with him, and I don't remember being impressed. Uh, it, it didn't change. It didn't change like you know my perspective of music, like like Guns and Roses did in the late '80s, understand. late early. And so you've alluded 90s. to it. I have Axl Rose, the singers from Indiana. We yeah. have Izzy Stradlin, also from Indiana. Yeah, they apparently went to high school together, and then they, when Axl got to L.A., he spent some time looking for Izzy. And Izzy, Izzy Stradlin becomes Guns N' Roses' rhythm guitarist. Yeah. Uh, I got Slash is from England, but spent most of his life in Los Angeles. I got Steven Adler from Ohio. He's their drummer. Spent yep. most of his or spent early time in Ohio, but spent most of the time in Los Angeles. And Duff McKagan is from Seattle. Plays sure. Bass. Yep. Uh, when they uh, were putting the band together, they considered the names uh, Head Heads of Amazon and AIDS. AIDS. Yeah, it's a bunch of assholes. For obvious reasons, they rejected them. <laughs> um, and the band was always, they were like habitually broke. Um, I have them as grimy, in my notes read, grimy kids, almost borderline criminals, like yeah. violent, like thieving vandals, like do anything to make it kind of kids, and basically manipulators. Con artists and habitual line steppers. I think you told me earlier that they were. Hell yeah! If there was a line to be stepped, they did all. They were stepped every time. But I think you told me that they basically found a network of of, of exotic dancers. Yeah, they were, I guess they industry were, types. They're, they're living with strippers a lot, and they were they would take care of them. So feed them that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, 1986, they had a decent following and through through the LA clubs, um, and then in 1986, they signed with Geffen Records. Uh, Geffen Records rented them a house, but they promptly trashed it. Bunch of fucking criminals. Yeah. So I have the band as explosive in personality, lifestyle, interpersonal interpersonal dynamics, and music. Sure. I have yep. Slash as probably the best guitarist ever, and I think Axel is one of the best all-time frontmen. Yeah, yeah. So and leading into their first record, and clearly after it, uh, drug use was. Prominent. It's in, it's in um, a lot of lyrics in that type of And it seems throughout all the drug use, Axel was was the one who kept the most. He doesn't seem the most level headed, but he, I guess he didn't need drugs to to get there to get yeah to, <laughs> to be insane to be riot inducing insane. I have uh, I have that uh, you said eighty six. So they record after that destruction and release it in nineteen eighty seven. Yeah. So. For the release history, you kind of alluded to, um, mentioned, you know, what they released and when. So, Appetite for Destruction drops in, 19, in July 21st, 1987. Yep. Um, so. It's not a monster record when it drops. No, no. It, like we said, it, it it took a little bit for it to gain some traction. But when it when when it did with um, uh, Welcome to the Jungle and then uh, Sweet Child of Mine came out and then it just kind of went to the stratosphere exactly switch out of mind kind of carried it uh it's sold 30 million copies worldwide 18 million in the u.s making it the highest selling debut album of all time i thought that this had actually had been broken or changed but in most recent research i've done it still was saying it was the highest selling uh debut album of all time yeah and i guess well i mean the metrics nowadays would be significantly different different, so it would be kind of app comparing apples to oranges because you know, you can download singles, you can download full album. I mean, it's, it's a different it, world. Different world, yeah. Absolutely. So, so 
after Appetite for Destruction, um, GNR Lies comes out on November 29th, 1988. That takes a, a, a duration of 498 days. From Appetite to Lies. From Appetite to Lies. From Lies to Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. Uh, Use Your Illusion 1 and, 2, 1 and 2 dropped on September 17th, 1991. That's 1,023 days. Which is, you know, reasonable that it would take you three years about to, to make a double album. And, and actually two of the better rock albums. I mean, quality uh, songs on both both CDs. So so three years is cool, right? And then the so after that comes the Spaghetti Incident, November 23rd, uh, 1993. That was 799 days after Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. Spaghetti Incident is basically just like some punk rock covers they do covers it's basically yeah. a cover album cover which album, was kind yeah. of a thing for these rock bands in the 90s because one of the albums that we talk about that most of our fans probably won't like is tesla's five man acoustical jam and that album's chock full of covers yeah and that's that's one of my favorite albums yeah, all time, yeah. so um after the spaghetti incident uh so the band's kind of they're have they, they weren't really pleased with each other so to say um, by the time they're recording the spaghetti incident and the touring and all that stuff. and they're they're making an honest effort to 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 do the next album which I don't know whether or not at that time they know if it's going to be the Chinese de- or Chinese democracy but so Chinese democracy comes out on no- November 23rd 2008 that's exactly 15 years to the day since the spaghetti incident came out um, that is 5,480 days. It's a long wait for us so, fans, So, like, what exactly in the hell was Axl Rose doing other than just swapping out band members, you know, at a record pace? Mad tinker. And, and I guess, uh, and I don't know if we mentioned, you know what? I mean, we're we're the Alternative History Podcast, and we talk about Alternative History, so we guess, I guess we never mentioned what exactly is the Alternative History for this. And I guess what, what, what we're proposing is, Seeing how it took five thousand four hundred eighty days for this album to drop, was it worth the wait? Should it have been released sooner? Yeah, later. Should it have been released at a different time. Because you said right. Yeah, I mean, there, it, it sounds like the album was complete somewhere around two thousand and one, if not a little sooner or a little later. Yeah. I, there, there was. Uh, 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 it was said that there was possibly 48 completed songs by 2002 and that it was the record label was just kind of figuring out which songs they wanted to put on there but it had a real like water world vibe to it where there was a lot of a lot of stories a lot of rumors going on like when it like what's going it like it became more infamous about its production rather than the The actual actual product right yeah so so yeah, and and a few things about myself. What happened in that time, in that five thousand four hundred eighty days? Um, so on, so from November twenty third, nineteen ninety three, to November twenty third, two thousand eight. Um, in that time, I went from having uh, just a few pubes to having a chest full of hair. I'm sure everyone really so wants to know that. Yes, I grew into a man, Rodrigo. Is what I'm trying to tell you. Thank you. Yes, so, I got it. <laughs> everyone knows about pubic hair. Mature audience. Shouldn't be such a prude. You're right. Yes. I graduated high school, uh, and uh, I figured out how to get through college. I graduated college. Um, Jessica kindly agreed to marry me, and we had a child, Jack, uh, who we spoke about earlier. Um, his birthday's coming up again, actually. Happy birthday, Jack, If when you listen to this in 10 years. Because exactly. <laughs> daddy swears a lot. 
So, uh, and by the time this album came out, I, yeah, so I was a very different person. Like from 1993 to 2008, I was a different person with different priorities and way different tastes. And Guns N' Roses didn't really fall under either of those. In those tastes, right? Yeah. I was going to say that essentially the band does not handle its success well. Mm-hmm. Appetite peaks at number one in the U.S. after it's released, like I said, a year later. Uh, Lies uh, peaks at number two. Uh, User Illusion 2 debuts at number one, and User Illusion 1 debuts at number two. Uh, Ironic. Right? Uh, this, and as, as Brian's alluded to, that uh, User Illusion 1 and 2 is the last time any original music is made. Yeah. And the, and the band members have already begun to change. As Brian says, there's stuff going on with the band, and negative press and controversy follow the band everywhere. Yeah, it, it just like I said, it, it real like it, it seemed to be they were more of a of like a walking gang that played music. Is yeah, what they were. and and they were like we were more we we want we wanted to see more like and I guess they kind of were a, a really dangerous band on the and on the cusp of this whole reality. TV thing, or like where we we want to know more about people's lives and what the, what they're actually producing. Like there's TV shows now about just people being themselves, yeah. right? Like, like YouTube shows like that. All, all and the place. like the Kardashians, like they don't really do, do anything. anything other than be Kardashians, right? Exactly. I mean, you know, God bless them. They make a lot of money doing it, right? So you know, good for them. But <clears throat> these guys could have had a reality show, man. I mean, who like they, we wanted to see who they were. And we wanted to see all like the the, the, the juicy gossip and rumors and all the, shit all the crazy shit that was going on. Exactly. And, which it sounds like there was a lot of during the making of, well, during their whole Existence. run. Yeah. And so I have that Stephen Adler is replaced during the recording of User Illusion of the User Illusions. He uh yeah he uh during the recording session of Civil War, he's unable unable to perform due to the struggles with coke and heroin. Uh, the difficulties. So much so that it took the take. It took the song thirty takes to get completed. They kind of got sick of this, so they moved on with him. Or they were he was, starting. He was he was basically a, a junkie, and he couldn't. He yeah, he couldn't play. He he was such a junkie, he couldn't play the drums anymore. That's, and they just they kicked him out. They started kicking him off. They were trying to keep him, so like they forced him to get clean. And so as he was getting clean, uh, they had Don Henley of the <laughs> Eagles sit in. Oh wow, the, I didn't know to that. Drum and do it during sessions, which is ironic because the Eagles broke up in nineteen eighty. And said they would never play together again. And in 1994, 14 years later, when Hell Freeze is over, over, they started playing. So I found that kind of ironic. That's how this plays out with what happens to this band later. And well, Axel said something similar when they asked him if if there was ever going to be a reunion tour. He said, "Not in this this lifetime." lifetime. And I believe the reunion tour that they're on right now is called "Not in This Lifetime." And the Eagles end up having that when Hell Freeze is over tour. So again, I thought that was kind of cyclical, if you will. So Stephen Adler is replaced by. The cult drummer Matt Sorum, mm-hmm. rhythm guitarist Izzy Stradlin, abruptly quit the band in November of 1991. So basically, I'll allude to this in a second, but they had a riot that Axl Rose started in St. Louis. It almost happened again in Germany, and Izzy had actually pulled his shit together and was no longer on drugs, so he couldn't hang out with the band because yeah. Slash and the other dudes and, were not. Uh, yeah, uh, Axl Rose had a, a knack. I mean, I don't know how you really get a knack for doing this, but he seemed to. I've never really heard of this happening with other frontmen, but he was ride-inducing. Yes. Like, I'm coming. It's coming. I'll, I'll tell you one second. Is that how it played out? Dizzy Reed, keyboardist, joins in 1990. He's still in the band. Yeah. He's, so he's him and Axel are too long of serving. 
Yeah, I have a chart. Um, <laughs> There's like 20 people, right? It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. The font I can barely read because it's so goddamn big and small. The font's so small. There's uh, there's a lot of people, and yeah, so yeah, the, the longest tenured members are uh, Axel Rose and Dizzy Reed. Gilby Clark joins the band in 1991 to replace Izzy. So in July of 1991, <clears throat> the band incites a riot in St. Louis because a fan was a fan was filming. And security did not stop the filming. Stop the filming. Axel jumped into the crowd, fought the fan, got pulled back on stage, bitched at security, threw down his mic, and stormed off. Yeah, I mean, all of a sudden, motherfuckers were throwing chairs at the stage. It was going insane. If we ever take this show live on the road and someone's like illegally recording this, you better believe I'm jumping into that crowd. You better you get your ass kicked. Don't do that. <laughs> The band incites another riot in Montreal in August of 1992. They are on tour with fan of show or favorite of show Metallica. Uh, James Hetfield gets in and suffers uh, third degree burns uh, because of a messed up pyrotechnic issue. Uh, Metallica has to end the show an hour early. Yeah, Guns N' Roses still makes the audience wait a long time and eventually goes on still earlier than they were supposed to. They were complaining because members of the band couldn't hear their monitors. They weren't working correctly. And essentially, they cut their shorts. They cut their set short, inciting another riot. So to, to kind of set the scene with that, uh, so James Hetfield was, had just really bad burns all over his body. He said his hands were so swollen they had to cut his rings off. Uh, and he, he was all effed up. He actually he, he burnt his hair in a fashion where he, he, uh, he, got, he got a mullet. I mean, that's the worst part of it, probably, the <laughs> mullet. But anyhow, and Axel uh, was supposedly complaining that he might hurt his throat. He later claimed to have a sore throat. Yeah. I wish we we should actually do a mini, I want to do like a mini episode just on that concert. Because what would have happened if Axel would have been like a well, good human being and like just come out I early. tell you, well, it would be over right now. If he would have done it, there would have been no riot. Right. Okay, fair enough. That episode <laughs> is done and in the can. Yeah, there's our mini right We're going to release that later. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Uh, Slash leaves in 1996. 1996, eventually vows to never work with Axel again. He is asked many times over the course of the next 20 years if he will play with Axel, and the consensus answer is always no. Yeah, and in my in my notes here, I have October yeah October 96 slash quit uh, Guns N' Roses, and I, I pretty much stopped my history of Guns N' Roses there because as far as I'm concerned, as soon as he left, Guns N' Roses was dead. 10-4. Duff McKagan leaves in 97. So he's yeah, the last member. So, and it, to me, Slash's guitar sound, and you can hear it. Uh, so, Velvet Revolver um, is a band that uh, was made with Slash, uh, Duff, and uh, Matt Sorum, and uh, Scott Weiland, R.I.P. Yep. Um, but yeah, like when you listen to that, that to me is what Guns N' Roses should have should been, been in the aughts. I agree. Not, not well, not. I mean, they weren't anything in the aughts. They were chilling, waiting yeah. for Axel. So but I like, like Slash. I'm with that you. Slash's sound, like. When you hear the guitar solo, like when you hear, when you hear a, a slash guitar solo, there's no mistaking it for anyone else's. Exactly. And when you hear, when you listen to the Chinese Democracy, and we'll get into to the actual meat of the album soon, but when you hear that, you don't hear that anywhere. And that, to me, it, it doesn't. It's not. The same. It's not Guns N' Roses. Close. I agree. It's just it's Axel with 
a bunch, bunch of different other, guitars. Yeah, yeah. So I love Slash. I think he's among the best guitarists of all time. I'd put him up against anybody. Uh, he doesn't sing, and I think that caused him to be commercially irrelevant for a couple of years. He's he's like a like a modern, well, not modern, but he's like our Santana. Except he sang. That, that's uh, the thing. So Santana had bands, and like, he sang a little bit, but he had a lot of he he would he had bands where he had lead singers. Lead singers, fair yeah. enough. But he still still had big hits as a singer, like Oye Komobon. Yeah. Like, Eric Clapton was, was a singer as well as a guitarist, like. Like, that's where I think Slash falls off a little bit because he is, you're absolutely correct. Uh, after Guns N' Roses breaks up, he becomes a prolific session player mm-hmm. and he has, like, his own traveling band, Slash of Snake Pit. He has, like, two different incarnations. Uh, before I get to them, as a session player, he works with Michael Jackson on uh, Black or White. He yeah. works with uh, Blackstreet on a song called The Fix. Old Dirty Bastards also feature in that song, Rest in Peace. And uh, as I say, two incarnations of Slash of Snake Pit. Another band called Slash's Blues Balls was the guitarist. I know Blues Ball. <laughs> Blues Ball. I'm sorry. Uh, this is this was interesting to me. Slash was the guitarist on the score of the film Jackie Brown. Like oh, uh, really? I've already told you, I think Jackie Brown's the best Quentin Tarantino movie and the best Samuel sure. Jackson movie. And I thought the music in that movie was amazing. I had no idea he was involved in the score. He became commercially relevant, as Brian said, when he formed the supergroup Velvet Revolver. And so I think what the thing was with Slash is that he. Him and Axel were the two main attractions, and apart, like Axel could still command a crowd. Slash, the only thing that was bigger than Slash was Axel. Yep. And I okay. think when he was with Guns N' Roses, uh, he he kind of was overshadowed. But when he was on by himself, like when you he, you they would specifically say so and so with slash yes. like he was he was like a brand name agreed no that's what i'm saying he was he was excellent he, he was way up there and so in the late 90s i remember seeing slash matt swarm and duff playing together in some colorado venue and i, I might be making this shit up but i swear i saw this like, i can't find the footage i looked for it all over the place with your like find it. in person or on no on, on tv on, on tv, TV. Okay. Like, for sure and then i know that i know that in 2002 the three do play again for sure and they uh they find that they're still good chemistry and this is where they decide Velvet revolver and to get Scott Weiland from STP, they had this huge exhaustive shirt search. There was a VH1 show with them looking, or VH1 special with them looking for singers. I oh, really? Right. Yep. No. So, so like I say, again, he becomes relevant again from 2002 to 2008, commercially, if you will. Velvet Revolver breaks up in 08. And from 2008 to 2015, he's in a band called Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirator. And oh, Conspirators. Yeah. I guess I didn't know what he did after Velvet Revolver. After band departures, Duff Slash joined Guns N' Roses for the uh, Not In This Lifetime tour. The tour is still going on. It's actually coming to Milwaukee on November 7th. Uh, That's a couple days. Tuesday. Has currently grossed $450 million. Currently the fifth highest grossing concert tour in history. Okay. So, I know you, you know I have beef with Guns N' Roses. In particular, just Axel, because this was back in the early aughts when... Axel was, he was he was the only member there left. Um, I and I, I'm not I, I I was thinking possibly of going to this reunion tour. And it's not in this lifetime tour, um, but I had a I still got a bad taste in my mouth from when he was. Well, I bought tickets right. 2006. It was 2006. Thank no, you for November of Thank you for remembering actually. for me. Yes. So 2006, I get these tickets for a bunch of guys and. The fucker gets a sore throat or got got a cold or some shit, right? And he couldn't sing at all, like not a lick. 
And he canceled the goddamn concert. And then I ended up owing money to a bunch of these fuckers because I had purchased all the tickets and the refund came back to me. So I had to track all these people down. I mean, worse things have happened to people. But I took it as a personal slight. Absolutely. I was going to yeah. say, I, we bought we bought it in my like notes. Like, I had always wanted to see them, right? It's our band. I mean, it's it was, bands, yeah, yes. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't like as hardcore about them as you were, but I did like them. And I thought they had a unique sound and I thought they were pretty badass. And I, I really, really, like, you could be mine as like, the, I, the soundtrack to my like to the to my grade school life. I understand. Um, and it was an awesome like T two, one of the best action movies of all time. Exactly. So it just put a bad taste in my mouth. Really wanted to see him. I had gotten to see all my childhood like you know rock and roll. Like remember we, we were always going we were going to see Def Leppard all the time in the late nineties early aughts. Poison, Poison Molly Crew, Molly Crew. You and I went yeah. to see Tesla, Metallica, Megadeth. Remember Tesla didn't play Paradise, and you and I tried to yeah, 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 yeah. We're, we're, yeah, yeah, well. yeah, yeah. We were gonna try and cause a riot, but we don't have Axel's Plus, knack for riot. We were in the way back, and we tried to go forward, and we just got tired, and that was that was anyway, our riot. I. I think uh, beer and other things may have closed down. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So uh, actually, I noted in my notes right here: we bought tickets for a Milwaukee show, and predictably, he canceled. Yeah. So, so I was pissed, and 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 anyhow, so I just and and he 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 can't like he cancels a lot. He's always late. I'll come back. Causes oh, yeah. riots and shit, Can't, right? Yeah, yeah, so he's rather unpredictable, and I, I mean, part of that is what makes him exciting to watch. But I'm just—I mean, I got an HD TV. I'll just put on a YouTube well, clip and like you I know, want to see his ass. As we get older, like okay, you're eccentric, but don't be an asshole. You know what I mean? You have us fans waiting. Come on now. Come on and play. I got shit to do, man. I can't I can't be waiting late. Four like, hours for you to come out. Like, Jessica will be texting me like, where, where are you? <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, you're going to be, you're like, you got shit to do tomorrow. We got to do this. We gotta, I'm like, so, not that she's a, like, whatever. I know what you mean. But it's like, she, I got, I got responsibilities. I can't be out waiting for Axel. With a, with a member of a band that doesn't care about what his fans think, essentially exactly. what I feel like. So, be, a, be a whim to his sore throat. Be like, suck on a fucking cough drop and get your ass on the stage. Exactly. Damn. <laughs> so I think the reason I stopped listening to them obsessively is because essentially I wasn't so angry anymore. Like my parents' divorce pissed me off. And it probably pissed me off for a long time. And so like I said, my parents got divorced at 13. Mm-hmm. There's never an ideal time for someone to get divorced, of course. But it was particularly tough at that time leading into my teenage years. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, leading after that where I was pissed, I was doing all the time. Furthermore, to your point, Axel started to irritate me. Like, the reports of him being difficult, being the one to slow process on releasing new music and or working together, firing people, hiring people, original members, as well as, like, Matt Sorum being let go, new folks being hired... Buckethead and Paul Tobias, who Slash did not get along with. Yeah. I bought some live Tokyo DVD, and dude's shtick just got underneath my skin, man. He was just like, kind of lame, super misogynistic, kind of gross, doing all kinds of mimicking lewd acts on stage. Like, Buck, are you talking about Buckethead? No, it was Axel Rose now. Oh, Axel Rose. Like, well, I started oh. liking him less. Yeah. And plus, I started hearing these reading, hearing and re- reading reports about how he wouldn't let Guns N' Roses songs appear on soundtracks. So I end up the band ends up suing him and winning. So the last time we heard him in a soundtrack was in simply sim, I was in a interview with a vampire mm-hmm. where they played simply for the devil. Yeah. So finally, six years later, you hear Paradise City and Can't Hardly Wait. 
And the first new song by Guns N' Roses is Oh My God, and it appears on End of Days in 1999. Okay. So like I said, I'm starting to get tired of Axl Rose, right? And there are reports that Chinese democracy will be is ready to drop probably from every year from 1998 to 2008. Yeah. It never shows up. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, so... uh... So Chinese Democracy, right? Released November twenty third, two thousand eight. Okay, so the the build up to that uh, producers, I guess he had uh, uh, Moby was in to be was a producer it, yeah. for it. Uh, Mike Klink. Uh, who produced Appetite for Destruction? Yeah, Youth uh, produced uh, a producer of YouTube. YouTube produce. Hmm. Uh, Sean Beaven uh, worked with Marilyn Manson and Nine Inch Nails. Um, you mentioned Buckethead. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was probably the most notorious of the guitarists that they, that they had in there. So uh, I guess he he's a, he was a performance artist. Uh, he was known for wearing a bucket of KFC with a mask that was uh, akin to uh, Michael Myers, like just plain white mask, uh, upset, connected to an upside-down bucket of KFC. Um, he reportedly uh, worked inside of a chicken coop specially made for him in the studio mm-hmm. uh he had a tv in there which he in which he at one point he ran hardcore porn continuously which disturbed axel can you imagine right if you're, just, axel if you're disturbing axel rose <laughs> you're you're, you're, you're yeah you're you're taking your fucked upness to the next level for <laughs> sure exactly. so uh and, and he wouldn't let anyone inside the chicken coop and uh so axel brought a puppy into the studio one day a timberwolf yeah, Timberwolf, but it was a puppy. Whatever. Whatever. I don't know. <laughs> you know, those rock and roll guys. They can't just have a dog. They got no. a fucking Timberwolf. And a tiger, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, brought the puppy in. Pumpy took a puppy dump in the in the chicken coop. And Buckethead refused to let anyone clean it up. Kept on saying how he loves the smell of poop. Uh, just loves it. Like, that's that's the act. Those, that's the actions of, like, a, like a one-year-old child. And it was like... Just That's where you play Slash with. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, it took three days uh, for it to stink up the entire studio, and they finally put someone in there to sent someone in there to clean it up. And and Buckethead was kind of was kind of depressed about it. I don't know. He's just a weird fucker. But anyhow, he got booted off. Uh, I heard Brian May participated on the album and guitars, and you mentioned a couple other. Captain um, the Rye does the single. Yeah. Or does the guitar solo? I'm sorry. So, uh, and I mentioned this earlier. Uh, so, March 12, 2001, Axel's assistant told a Brazilian newspaper that they had 48 songs completed and uh, the record company was just selecting materials. Um, in February of 2004, uh, Geffen Records, uh, they basically at this point, they've given up on the release. They said Axel was obligated to fund and complete the album at this point. And by 2005, the New York Times cited cost of over $13 million to produce the still unreleased album. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it was like stuff had changed. Like you mentioned, you know, we, we were moving into the digital music. At, at, it's all different now. Uh, realm at this point. And it was getting it was getting to the point where it was going to be almost impossible to make any kind of money because CDs weren't the preferred medium anymore. And everything was moving towards, towards uh, digital. To your point, you made a mention of this earlier. Uh, so Chinese Democracy was released on November 23rd of 2008. You said that one of the other albums was released on November 23rd? Uh, was it Spaghetti Incident? Uh, 15 years, right, to the day. 15 years, yeah. So they also released Live Era in 1999, also on November 23rd. Yeah. I don't know if you knew that. And no. then... Well, there were a lot of releases in between, but they were they were just like 
Yeah, like live recordings or like no, greatest the, hits. They're live air. That's what I'm saying. It's a double CD okay. of live performances releases yeah. November 23rd. And then their greatest hits come out in March 23rd, 2004. The reason I bring this up is the fact that from September 17th to 2008, like you say, oh, I'm sorry, from 1991 to 2008, it's 17 years before we hear new original music. The yeah. Spaghetti Incident, like you said earlier, yeah, it wasn't, yeah, it was not was, original yeah. music. That was them doing covers. And like that, that album gets panned. Original a lot. to them, but. That, that album gets panned. Not it has like three songs. good songs. You know what I mean? Like so, like we were I, really waiting for a long. In my long research, time. I that's the album I skipped. Yeah, I did find when I was listening when I was trying to listen to uh, like Chinese Democracy. I kept on listening to Velvet Revolver <laughs> and and Rush, of course, because oh, I always I mean, want to make your ears bleed. Shut, so the feeling shut it, shut is it. the feeling is that uh, this is on Axel as he becomes as he gets this reputation. Uh, for being increasingly difficult to work with, and for being just this mad tinker and perfectionist. Yeah, and 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 you you cracked a joke at me when we were editing one of these one of our podcasts because I was like it was I forget which one it was, but uh, you had a cold, you were so there was a lot of mouth breathing yeah, going on. So I was deleting, you know the the breathing, and you're like, all right, Axel. And our fans are thankful for that. Yes, as am I for sure. Yes, but I am nowhere near as like so. In all my research, there didn't seem to be any real, like, I couldn't find anywhere where it said specifically why it took so fucking long for the album to come out. Other than Axel just kept on tinkering, forever, exactly. tinkering. tinkering. Like it's tinkering, not like it's not like he started playing like song. He was playing songs, and songs were getting uh, leaked, starting in in late nineties, early late nineties, early two thousand. So it sounded like a lot of these songs were done, but he kept on adding new members, so he would re-record them exactly. and add new things and do this and do that and I also heard that when he brought in a, a whole new set of guys at one point he made them re-record the Appetite for Destruction album in fact not, not the new set of guys anytime there was somebody new that was joining they redid the whole Jesus that's what he was doing that's what never mind yeah. that took a long time so essentially so that's for the 13 million dollars exactly right that's it I'll tell you another reason why it was so expensive shortly but uh so basically, I bought the album the day it came out. Like, I re- I remember you telling me you, we re- we listened to it like, me, right after you bought it. I couldn't believe it had finally been released. Like I thought it was like a unicorn. You know it what did I mean? seem yeah. I mean, like I said at that point, like I kind of like my taste had changed significantly. significantly. I still like Guns um, N' Roses, but I, I was I was open to hear what this was going to be like. You know, so I I think we listened to it or I listened to it like three or four times in a row. I thought there were two good songs, and I did not like the rest of the album. Like, that yeah. was kind of it for me. So. Uh, I I I listened to it when it came out. Um, I listened to it a lot in preparation for the podcast. Me too. Um, and you know, I I listened to it. I, I I probably went through the album at least five or six times, and none like none of the songs really like grabbed and, and like stuck to me. Like there's a couple, but so oh, go ahead. You had something to say? Uh, yeah, real quick before we break into the real real album, I just want to say this. So one night. I was visiting a bar like half a block down my house. Like I had never been to this bar, and uh, it turns out that the bartenders are metalheads. And most of the night is spent listening to real metal. You know what I mean? Slayer, Metallica, Anthrax. You guys know Death Clock from the show Metalocalypse, like music from them, and a bunch of other hardcore shit I'd never heard of. I was a relatively unknown in this bar, mm-hmm. so they asked me what kind of music I liked, and of course I like Guns N' Roses. Uh, so we started listening to the hits. The owner shows up. And suggests that he thought that Chinese Democracy was an underrated album. 
And we end up basically listening to the whole album at this bar. Like, yeah. it's already bar time. We kicked a whole bunch of people out. I'm still in there drinking after hours, listening to the entire album. Like, and when I heard it, it was better than I remembered. I thought I had some decent songs. But I was criminally overserved, so I thought maybe I was just drunk. You know what I mean? Good thing you were criminally close. <laughs> exactly. I was walking to my house. Uh, I come back a couple days later to that bar, and the guy's like, you're the guy who wanted to hear all the depressing songs on Chinese democracy. <laughs> I was like, nah, you wanted to hear that. I wanted to hear the hits. Like, that's what I told him. So, at, uh, at the time of its release, just like Brian alluded to, it is the most expensive album of all time. Yeah, and uh, after it was released, so, like, leading into the release, there's a real funny, like, uh, anecdote about, uh, about uh, Dr. Pepper. Yep. So in March of 2008, they offered a free soda to everyone in the U.S. fucking of A if the Chinese if Chinese democracy was released before the end of 2008. Two people were not going to get sodas. Slash, oh, slash and, and Buckethead. And Buckethead, yeah. And I don't know why. I couldn't find why. I don't know why you would do it. I mean, I could see Buckethead, but why would, why would you, you can't not slash. give it? Yeah. yeah. So Slash probably doesn't even drink Dr. Pepper. So anyhow. So on the day of the release, they set up a website for people to print out a, a coupon to get the free soda, but the site crashed almost immediately from the traffic. Uh, uh, a while later, Ro uh, Axel Rose's lawyers brought up a lawsuit against Dr. Pepper, saying they ruined the release of the Chi of Chinese democracy I, I and defrauded customers. Exactly, I had the same note. I, I, I think I think Axel was. I don't know if he was involved with that, but he 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 kind of thought it was a waste of time. Yeah, he actually yeah. ends up saying that he wishes his lawyers wouldn't have done that and yeah. focused on the release. Yeah, exactly. Um, the album was so. This will tell you what, what kind of world it was in two thousand eight. Uh, GNR streamed the album uh, uh, on MySpace uh, page for several days before the release, and it streamed for uh, it was streamed three million times, which was a record at that time, I guess. Uh, uh, it's just funny to, to see MySpace. It's hilarious because for the young people, MySpace was like the original social network. Just so you yeah, know. it was. It was the precursor to Facebook, and uh, in the early aughts, that's like. That's what that's how your social shit. networking yeah. started. It was MySpace, and now it's basically a you know it's forgotten part of our life. Yeah. No, not MySpace, but social media is not part of the lifestyle. We can never get away from. And it, it was it looks like it was the, the 55th best-selling album of the year. Yep. Of 2008. Um. So. And I don't know if you want to do this, Rod, but I this is what I usually do when I when I listen to a song. I got this thing where I'll I'll say if this if it's if the song is booty or not booty. <laughs> So and I give, fail, yes. And I give it a booty rating. Gotcha. So I won't go, I, I mean, if you want, I uh, I won't go through every song, but I'll tell you. So there's 14 songs on it. I gave six songs a booty rating, eight songs not booty rating. Turns out 40, it's 42.86% booty, 57.14% not booty. So I'll give it not booty. There you but go. But it, it, it's dangerously close to being booty. Well, I have... In my brain, there are four really good songs. There's yeah. like three great songs, one good song. There's three songs I wish weren't on the album, and like the rest were kind of just okay. Yeah, is, is the way I would describe it. But though we're kind of saying that this album was surprisingly to me extraordinarily highly well reviewed. Like, yeah, it got like Rolling Stone gave it a positive review, like four or five, four to five stars. Like this dude named. Chuck Klosterman, so he's sure. a bearded ginger that appears on all these like rock shows and heavy metal documentaries. And he's like, a novelist too. I he's guess. like yeah. he's a musician, or I'm sorry, a music historian, if you will. He gave it an A minus. Like there was a there was a, a lot of good reviews. 
Metacritic gave it a 64 with general fa- generally favorable reviews based on 28 critics, and it got an 8.0 user score with again generally favorable reviews favorable reviews based on 393 reviews. So yeah, so I guess yeah, I understand. Like if you're reviewing it, you can't like if if you want to be if you want to do it honestly, you have to review it based on the sound of you know the quality of the music as it's presented. The way I'm looking at it is basically was it you know, worth the over wait over the course of time yes like if if it took like would should have taken 15 years to produce this album and to come out the way it is for me to give it a 42.8% oh, 42.86% booty rating like you thought it would be better i, I, I thought it would be better like a lot better like like mind blowing user illusion 2 i didn't think it was going to be use your illusion to but i thought it was going to take it to the next level and create something that i thought was just mind-blowing but like like i said it if it came out in 2001 right or 1999 1999 i might have been like man this is badass well for me but to me it's just it's just an album it's an album yeah well and i think that if they would have released if they would have removed like three of the songs that i hate let me see your list real quick here i think that i think it's like uh raiden the raid and the bedouins yeah. Scraped and If the World. If they would have got rid of those three songs, I think we're talking about a damn near classic of an album. Like it was really, really good for what it was. Like, yeah, I like I understand that it's going to be very hard to meet people's expectations when you're waiting for 15 years. But the songs were a little more than I expected when I listened to them this time. After having so, listened to it once and then having listened to it when I was, you know, inebriated a long time ago. Gotta, it now, it, yeah. it surprised me. I, I didn't think it was so, that bad. I think like. So, if the world, I, that was booty I'm to sorry. me. I hate to hate on people there that was, release art, but that that's yeah, no, I, yeah, and, and and I'm saying it's booty, but like, I, there's no way in hell I could make any. Like, these are still good songs. I just don't think they're to the quality of what 15 years worth no. of tinkering. So, if the world, uh, there was a time, Catcher in the Rye, uh, probably Sorry. Um, those were the ones that I I, I particularly didn't like. Um, I'm with you. And and I had two things about about. The, so the cover art just seemed just weird. It, it looked like something that should be on like like a like a coffee table book about like how to make wicker baskets. Like it's, it's just a, a bike with a with a, a wicker basket, basket leaning on a wall, right? It says Guns and Roses. It says Guns and Roses. It's, and it's kind of like a rust colored uh, tint to it. Um, and then the namings of the songs, right? So like Catcher in the Rye, it's like, all right, obviously, oh right? Steal that would be original. There was a t- like, they're so vague. Like there was a time, if the world, Street of Dreams, Sorry, like they're just real. They're not. There's no originality to them, you know. It just seems like he just like he was tinkering them so much. He probably changed the names. He's probably like, okay, well, I gotta name it something. Right? So like Chinese democracy, democracy, uh, Shackler's Revenge. Uh, those are the two like the two like right? yeah the two that those are basically the two songs that I liked. What I what, when I heard the album on the album, but those are the cool titles. I mean, right. everything else just seemed kind of derivative. When I was listening to the album, like it kind of like parts of it reminded me of like the Appetite for Destruction Guns N' Roses, and parts of it reminded yeah. me of Use Illusion Guns N' Roses. Like, mm-hmm. but I don't think that they did a good job of what's your word conflating both styles like I think that you could tell it was like yeah. a difference yeah. however I will give them credit for a three song stretch I really like Shackle's Revenge I really think Better is a phenomenal song mm-hmm. and I really like Street of Dreams 
I think you could put those three songs as well as the album or as well as the tune Madagascar. You could probably put those. They probably would have been fine on Usual Illusion. Like you might be able to play some of those songs from some of the songs I didn't like. Hell, for all we know, he wrote those during that yeah, era. That's like, what I'm saying because that's what it sounds like. When you listen yeah. to Better, like that shit sounds like it would fit right on. Like you almost wish that he would have put that instead of My World on Usual Illusion too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that, that's kind of what I felt like. Like it was not as good as I wanted to, of course, because we've been waiting for so long, but it was much better than I thought it was going to be. Like, uh, and on this third and fourth new re-listening, you know what I mean? Like, like the first yeah. couple times I was very disappointed, but I, now, it, I thought it was not that bad. I'm a little, I'm a, I'm a little different than you are on this one, for sure. Yeah, I, like I said, like, when we were just talking, when you mentioned Street of Dreams, I was like, I, 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 I probably listened to the song, I know I listened to it this morning at least, like, three it, right? times, yeah. and I still can't yeah. remember it. Like, it just, none of these songs really, like, Chinese Democracy, Democracy, and Shackler's Revenge stuck out. stuck in my head. Right. Right? Shackler's Revenge reminded me of uh, "It's So Easy." Like that's yeah. exactly what it reminded me yeah. of. Yeah, and but the other ones just were just they're kind of like they're just songs, right? And mm-hmm. and granted, they're like we said, we don't like to crap on what people do. Um, you know, Axl Rose is phenomenally talented, great lead singer, just not Take very too pun- much, not very punctual. And this but one, this but one. like, yeah, I think yeah, and uh, and so for looking at it. From the uh, angle, does it was it worth the wait? Should it have been released earlier? Like hundred percent, it was not worth the wait. And yes, it should, should have been released earlier. I think the quality of the product was good, was great. I just can't imagine that he couldn't have done this with basically studio guys. Well, with the original in, band, or members. even yeah, even then, like I, it, it, like nothing on it. So when you, like I said. When you hear Slash play a solo, you know that Slash. Nothing on there outside of Axel's voice made me think, Jesus Christ, like, this is, this is great. Well, that's the thing. This is like, it's, it's just it's Axel singing to over some, they, some very decent songs. You're hitting it on the head, right? Like, I, I would argue that the thing that Slash and Axel did so well was that Axel's voice played perfectly off of Slash's guitar. I know. You don't have that in these songs or albums. And I've heard now, we've talked about this, there were 10 guitarists used in the production of this album. And you can kind of feel it in some of the songs where you like have like five different guitars. There's going no, on. yeah, there's like no, there's no, you, you can't really get any kind of continuity when you got that many people, you know, contributing to the track. Yeah. Whereas, like, in, in my opinion, I always look at Guns N' Roses as a combination of, of the Rolling Stones and Led Zeppelin in the sense that sure. there are two guitar tag like the Rolling Stones. But you have a Jimmy Page S type guitarist on in Slash, and like, I don't think that a bunch of the guys on this album that play guitar with them are on the same level or even close. Obviously, if you're a Queen fan, again, send all your hate mail to Brian. Mm-hmm. Brian May is fantastic. I think he's very good. I understand it, and, and he's good at and he's good. Don't at, send hate mail to me. I never said anything about Brian the, May not being fantastic. And, and and I love Queen. And he had the he had the guitar riff on. What's the song? Uh, Catching the Rye. Like, like, but like, it's not the same dynamic as Slash and Axel. And you can just tell that it's hard to try. He wasn't getting that dynamic. Is yeah, that's what I felt like. I felt like you'd, you'd hear a wall and, and of very well. That may have been what took so friggin' long to to get to this album out. Like, and maybe he just got to the point where he's like, I'm not gonna find it, and this is as good as it's gonna get. Exactly. And I mean. If you're releasing something because you think it's as good as it's going to get after 15 years, it's it's, it's kind of might might be a. I mean, you may have you should have looked some for some compromise earlier. I mean, that's the father in me coming out. But 
Of uh, these ten guitarists, Dave Navarro from Jane's Addiction was involved in the project. Yeah. Uh, Brian May, like we said. Black Label Society's Zach Wilde. Uh, as well as the current guitarist, or not the current guitarist, uh, the most recent one was a guy named Ron Bumblefoot Thal and Robin Fink. I think those guys have been replaced now. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, uh, looks like, so, I mean, the current lineup is the original lineup except um, with... Uh, the drummer's different. The drummer's, no, I thought it was Matt Sorum still. No, no, no. No, no, no maybe I'm completely not wrong. Back. All right, well, there's all these names on my list here, and <laughs> I don't know who's who. There's, there's... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three dudes who worked on this album. That and you can see it. It's like that's the thing about this album. Or twenty-two dudes and and um and Melissa Reese. She's the she's still in the album. She's still in the band. Yep, she's yeah. the new keyboardist. Wow. Yeah. So and you can kind of tell it's like it's like a a lot of different sounds going on in this album. Like you, I think you mentioned in one of the songs. Uh, he 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 samples. I have a dream. He samples. It's, cool it's, Hand Luke, and he samples. Like you couldn't uh, Braveheart and <laughs> the movie Seven. Like like I couldn't. You couldn't even make that up if you tried, <laughs> right? right? No, you couldn't. Like like hmm. You know what this song needs? He's little. He's little MLK. I have a dream. Uh, and Cool Hand Luke. Brad Pitt swearing from Seven, which you've already used in another song. Uh, Bra- Braveheart. That's what you know. What. Mm. Like I was gonna release it, but I was waiting. Uh, well, no, you didn't even have to wait. These movies came out in like '60s and early '90s. Yep, Shit. Nope. Yep. Yep. Exactly. That song could have been released in like '97. So, other interesting facts I read about: I read that Shaquille O'Neal freestyled a verse. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna say it was left from the final production. So, okay, Shaquille O'Neal has a line in one of his. Uh, a friend of mine um, from grade school and high school used to, was fond of saying this. Uh, he, he he says something like, "I'm like." It, I'm like Dookie Diarrhea coming out your butt or something like something to that extent. He said Dookie Diarrhea coming out your butt. That's so. His I mean, skill. yeah. Was, I think he's gotten a little better over the years, but back then that's probably what he, the level he was on. Uh, the Offspring tried to steal the title. Yes. The Chinese Democracy. Yeah. Essentially, Axl Rose makes an appearance at the 2002 VMA Awards in braids, and so the lead singer of the Offspring says, "Axl ripped off my braids, so I ripped off his album title." Yeah, kind of I mean it's kind of a like a dickheaded thing to do. I mean on Offspring's end, I mean I think they're a lame band. It is, but it is I'm right. Not a, I'm not a fan. As we said earlier, Final Tab was over 13 million dollars to produce because of things like this. Uh, this is a quote from one of the producers. They had many producers, like Brian said. One area where an astronomical amount of money was being spent was in rented gear. It's a bit of a luxury to have a 59 less Paul at however many thousands of dollars a month. When it isn't even being used, we'd pay enough in rental for it that we could have bought it. So, so and, and it's multiple guitars. The first song released was Shackler's Revenge, and it's released on Rock Band 2 as a playable song. Yeah. Uh, according to ex Skid Row frontman Sebastian Bach, Chinese Democracy is the first installment of a master plan. The thing that nobody gets, he insists, is that he has like four or five album's done I've heard it so get ready what's weird why, though why is, do I feel in that Axel just kind of like told him that shit just cause because he's he released it because that was 2008 it was that's 2008 so it's 2017 yeah. right now literally 9 years ago like in, yeah. in like 3 weeks and they haven't released anything new no and they're, they've been on 3 major tours since yeah like I don't 
It's not happening. Like, there is no master plan. I would agree. I don't think it's happening. Uh, a music blogger named Kevin uh, Kogel streamed nine tracks for an hour or two in June of 2008. The server he was never heard from again. <laughs> the server crashed because of high traffic. The FBI arrested him, citing the Family Entertainment and Copyright Act. Uh, his arrest resulted in a large boom of, of an illegal download of the album. So yeah. like, because he got arrested, more people wanted to download it. Uh, he was supposed to have served six months in jail. The charge was uh, reduced to copyright infringement as a misdemeanor. He was sentenced to two months health arrest and was required to film an anti-piracy video with the record uh, recording industry association of America. Kogel states he never filmed the video because the RIA RIAA didn't want to spend the money on the video. And he also stated he skirted felony in jail time for pre-releasing copyrighted material because the court couldn't prove the album was being prepped for a commercial release. <laughs> That's funny. Brian already mentioned it. Dr. Pepper was messed up royally here. Uh, their online distribution coupon system was inadequate. Yeah. Uh, Duff slash Izzy Gilby Clark and Matt Sorum all provide favorable reviews and feedback. Stephen Adler and Tracy Guns hate, hate, hate. It's a super, super high. Stephen Adler sued them after he got kicked out of the band. Exactly. Won a, won a couple million dollars in like 15% royalties on all of Appetite for Destruction, I believe. Again, I mentioned earlier, it's very well, very well reviewed. All Music gives it 4 out of 5. AV Club gives it A-. The Guardian, 3 out of 5. Mojo, 3 out of 5. MSN Music B plus, uh, Pitchfork doesn't give it a great rating, five point eight out of ten. Q doesn't do too well either, two out of three stars. Uh, Rolling Stone gave it four out of five, and uh, Slant Magazine gave it two and a half out of five, and Spin seven out of ten. So it got favorable reviews. To sure. your point, like some hey, folks didn't like it, I gave it, gave it, it a hey, middle. I gave it fifty-seven point one four percent. It's not favorable, booty. exactly. Not booty. It's also, what surprised me, this I didn't realize even though I did buy the album the minute it came out, it was a super, super high charting album. Like, it, it reached number one in Europe, in Argentina, in Canada, in Finland, in New Zealand, in Poland, in Slovenia, Switzerland, and Taiwan. It reached yeah. number two in England, in Germany, and Norway. Reaches number three in USA and Australia and a whole bunch of other places. They're so huge like, all over the world. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I mean, I knew they were huge. That's one of my bands. Well, but I, I guess that's just like. So well. I mean, I guess everyone's waiting for it's it. It's saying a lot for a band that really only released three albums of original material in their, in their existence. Four. Well, leading into well, I guess, spaghetti or lies. Mm -hmm. That was some, covers and, like re redos, right? Like, well, you could say that, but it was Anyhow, whatever. whatever. Yes, fine. So four, we'll, we'll four. say four. Yeah, yeah. To 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 wait fifteen years and then still you know dominate the rock scene like he did. That's that's saying a lot for Axl Rose's like influence on on rock and roll and the culture. And specifically in an era where you could argue that rock was dying, right? Like like since Guns N' Roses, the real big bands have been what like U two, like Radiohead, like uh, yeah. Tool, like the Black Keys. Right, you could argue that those four bands have been the next. Oh, and Metallica, five bands have been the next big, huge rock bands. Yeah. since Guns N' Roses, right? Or and yes, I know you two Metallica were the contemporaries, but when Guns N' Roses fell off, they kind of filled that big vacuum. Mm -hmm. I think if Guns N' Roses wouldn't have fall off, wouldn't have fallen off, 
U two wouldn't be what U two is. I think Guns N' Roses would be where U two was. Yeah, I they would have been. They would have been dropping the songs to me, on to Apple. Me, to me, they're for sure. They're t- too like I don't. I don't know a lot of people who are passionate about U two and Guns N' Roses at the same time. So, I don't know if they would have filled. I think they could coexist. They were as uh, as you know gigantic bands. Perhaps. But my father of all people actually saw them in San Salvador before you and I have. Guns N' Roses? Yeah, so they yeah. came to... Uh, I've never seen them, so... Right, so they came to this place. It's called El Estadio Cuscaclan. It's their famous stadium in San Salvador, right in downtown. You'll like this. The concert was supposed to start at 8 p.m. Didn't start till midnight. Some bitch. <laughs> and it, my dad says, though he made him wait, it was a great show because he played for like four hours. They yeah. left until like, so, like well, four hours. You know what? Fuck that shit, because not only did you ruin my night... You fucking ruined my entire next day because I need some. I need sleep, Axel. Come so, on. So my dad's slightly older than us. He was ruined for a good week. Yes. He told me he couldn't, it took him a long time to get over. Man. It. So it, I'm a regular guy nowadays. I need. I, I'm all. I'm, all I'm, like, I'm like timing. I'm like the West Coast offense. Yeah, yeah, it's all about timing. Right. You got too much shit going. Yes. Right? A lot of moving parts, time. Axel. Come on. Agreed. Agreed. And so essentially, do you have any more in Chinese democracy? No, other than, you know, I just don't think, I mean, I, I, I'm i not, it, it it wasn't worth the wait to me, so yeah. I'm not so giving it an alternative, well, the like, alternative history for me is that it wasn't worth the wait, should have been released earlier. And that, that's exactly what it is for me, that the alternative, the, the, the thesis was, should this have been released at a different time, yeah. either earlier Later or never at all, whatever. Like it wasn't so much that it was multiple choice, but yeah. essentially, should it have been released at a different time? More of a murky alternative history on this one, but it was. It's still basically should it like it, it should have been released at an earlier time, right? And was that, it worth the wait? You know, the alternative to me, history, it's, I'm no. it, it should have been released much earlier. Had it been released much earlier, though it was extremely successful, I think it would have been more successful. And yes, I think that I agree. Like if you're gonna eventually wait and get back together, you could have got back together sooner. And, like, the band could have worked and we would have gotten better music a long time ago. So, I kind of put that, again, from what I've read on Axl Rose. Like, I think he kind of kind of fucked his fans a little bit, to be quite frank with you. Like, I wish yeah. he would have done this shit much sooner. Like, that's my opinion. So, I, I think it deserves an alternative history. I wish it would have been released much, much sooner. Yes, I, I, I concur. There you have it. There's Chinese democracy. So, uh, yeah, so you can find us on Google Play. You can find us on iTunes. Please subscribe. Um, please please subscribe. Uh, rate. It, it helps us out an awful lot. Yes, please rate us on iTunes. Um, if you got uh, any questions or disputes or hate emails you'd like to send Rodrigo's way for sounding the way he does, uh, alternative history podcast at gmail.com. And we're on Twitter. It's at althistorypc. And Facebook. Oh, yeah, and Facebook, Alternative History. Just search it, and you'll find it. Tell us what you think. Are we full of shit? Does my voice make you want to pull your hair out? Anything, please reach out. Yeah, so uh, we will uh, see you later. Thank you for your time. Have a great day. you'll hear us later. Bye now.